Hello, my friends. This episode is about the question, or even statement, how to make America great. Well, of course, when you ask a question like that, then, of course, it begs the other question. What is preventing America from becoming great now, or what problems do we have that need to be work on, worked on? <clears throat> well, the most important problem in my mind in our country is just excess, <coughs> excessive competition, uh, American versus American, and of course there's Democratic stuff, Democrat versus Republican, but, you know, those are just labels. And when you're walking around the street in normal day-to-day life, you know, you don't know who's a D and who's an R. I mean, uh, and when people get into groups, I think party labels are lost, uh, consider a working environment, a workplace environment. In most businesses, uh, people's political views are perhaps unknown or not talked about too, too much. So I think you got to look at group dynamics which probably trumps political labels. Trumps, I mean, uh, you know, it's more important. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we have to have more cooperation in America. I think that kind of attitude... Uh, would solve just many, many problems that America has right now. Uh, I think it would do a lot to cure the rate of violence in our country. Our mur- our murder rate is just too, too high. We often hear about those mass shootings, and those, of course, are tragic, but there's many more thousands killed in just a day-to-day average a murder here or a murder there across the nation every day. But that is not publicized as much. Uh, and I think it would make America a more healthy country. I think uh, just to drive to exceed that, succeed and not, well, just to drive to survive for most Americans in our country, uh, it really takes a toll on Americans' health. Hypertension and other things are really related to anxiety, Americans' fear of uh, not making it in terms of economics. But also just the idea that uh, we never have enough here, that we have to work, work, work and not take a vacation. I mean, um, it is just so interesting to me that the Europeans have generous paid vacations as part of their working contracts. But in America, uh, we just don't have as much vacation time as the Europeans. I mean... uh, and we sort of glamorize it here that the, the harder you work somehow, that's admirable. You know, a Bruce Springsteen song or a John Cougar Mellencamp song, uh, you know, we kind of idealize those working class people, but uh, but really we don't. We want we, we want to be like the celebrities who don't work, seem to work much at all. But so we idealize that sort of work, work your fingers to the bone lifestyle, and that's just not the way to... Uh, you know, create a high quality of life culture. So I don't think there's any honor to be a person that works hard and hard and, uh, you know, doesn't enjoy life. I I think our culture has to get over that. So I think that that's got to be the most important thing in in my mind. You know, because 
just the competition just leads to just so many a myriad of uh, problems. And just the whole idea that our whole American capitalist economic system believes that competition is the best way for uh, for our economy, economy to perform. And that may not be true. Uh, we think that, you know, in the marketplace that when one firm competes against another, uh, the prices are going to be lower. Well, shouldn't everything be free by free by now if, if one business always has to undercut another business? Well, then we sh- everything should be free now. Well, it's not. So, you know, it's in other words, businesses will not go, go below a certain level, you know. So, uh, uh, but also I just don't know why... Um, you know, uh, <coughs> Americans have to have to sort of prove their value here. Like you go into a job interview, and uh, you have to prove your personal value over another over another American, another human being. I, I just don't. You know, we got to step back and look at that, which we don't really do in day to day life. Uh, that whole situation is just assumed. We assume that it's supposed to be that way. In fact, the question: Why do people work? Why do they have to work? I mean, uh, why do you, why do humans work? Well, it all goes back to the African savannas, and when humans were in their earliest stages, um, and even before we knew we were humans, uh, had consciousness that we had to procure food. Okay, that's what it all comes down to. And then shelter, you know, whatever humans lived, however they lived in Africa. Well, you didn't have to worry about much about cold. That's why they started there. If humans began in uh, Siberia, that would be hard to imagine because there's no way they could survive uh, while they're surviving. (coughs) So it all comes down to that humans have to get out in their environment and get food. It doesn't come to them usually. And that takes cooperation a little bit. But then whenever you get into human group dynamics, at whatever level, uh, there is competition among the groups. Rivalry for women uh, or mates or whatever. uh, uh, Competition for leadership among the men. And perhaps even the women. uh, I was reading a part of a book by... the anthropologist, the anthropologist Claude Levi Strauss, and he examined societies, and he found that uh, there's a lot, you know, the, 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 sure the what we would call the primitive societies, and there's a lot of conflicts there, and and uh, you know, the mates aren't faithful. I mean, there's a lot of uh, sleeping around. So, in other words. Uh, early humans or even primitive humans today in the Amazon or perhaps New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, uh, they're they're not living in an ideal world. So even if we're humans, we've got to look at this, so even if Americans were to get rid of what I consider our biggest problem, competition, human versus human, uh, was there ever an ideal state of human existence? 
Because if we have these primitive people that are supposedly close to the way God and nature intended them to be, and they still have conflicts, how can that be risen above? Well, I guess we have to tend to believe that modern civilization has tried to uh, take care of that. You know, uh, because isn't modern civilization supposed to be an improvement over, you know, primitive, primitive man? In many ways it is, in many ways it's not. Uh, that's what that the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau believed, that uh, modern life, and he was, re- he was writing in the 1700s, is not better than the primitive life. You know, he believed in the noble savage concept, which, uh, you know, I don't really believe in. And uh, many anthropologists have proven that uh, primitive people can be very murderous and uh, violent and not at all, it does not all promote a happy existence. (laughs) In fact, uh, the English philosopher Thomas Hobbes believed that primitive man's life was nasty, brutish, and short. And so that's why he proposed his uh, ideal state uh, in uh, his book, Leviathan. Uh, But the trouble with his concept, I think uh, I would have with is that he believed that a man had to, or men had to uh, submit their will to the state in order for them to all survive. In other words, they were giving up their selfish natures in order for the whole, in order for them to survive and the whole nation to prosper. So, um, but then of course you have psychologists like Sigmund Freud who believe that as soon as man did that, he was suppressing his natural instincts, which Freud called the id, and society as a whole would be called the superego, which, you know, uh, creates constraints on human uh, instincts and desires. <coughs> so, yeah, we just have to ask ourselves, what is the ideal life of humans, and has it ever existed? And we don't want to ever believe that uh even if human life was primitive at one time, and there's problems now that uh, all these natural instincts and unconscious <coughs> drives cannot be overcome. I mean, uh, that is what the Marxists believed and liberals believed that uh, a better world could be created, but, uh, and their ambitions are admirable but are they looking at the possible limits? And like Freud pointed out, and are they looking at clearly at the darker sides of human nature? But, and Marx did not answer this question, and the Marxists haven't. What would that ideal state look like? How would humans be relating to each other? You know, it, it all comes down to that family unit and uh, uh, if there's conflicts there, what can you do? As Freud pointed out, the uh, Oedipus complex and the Electra complex, where, where children are 
see their parents as rivals the opposite of their opposite sex. So uh, it's a confusing problem, but it may just be solved when humans uh, aren't really human anymore. In other words, somehow they figure out uh, how to uh, get rid of the reality of living and dying and uh, become computerized or something and live forever that's of course where we're going in some at some time <coughs> where humans can get away from that biological cycle of life and death <coughs> at least for the short term uh, but as far as improving America I, I think as I, as I say uh Given these possible constraints on human nature, I think uh, it is possible with the limits for humans to be more cooperative. I, I always point to what I see as the ideal as being European life right now, but I know they have current problems with uh, right-wing movements there, and, and sometimes Europeans can be racist and things. Uh, but uh, I think... If you're providing a level of social programs and people, that gives people some kind of independence and from the group pressures, uh, I think that's pretty far. That's going pretty far right there, and I don't know what else you can really do, unless you're trying to force everybody to be everybody's friend, which I get. <laughs> but in certain degrees. Uh, a developed welfare state is that. Everybody is everybody's friend to a certain degree. You, you can pass everybody. You don't have to be everybody's friend. I mean, you don't have to be everybody's friend, but if you pass somebody on the street, you know you're taken care of, and it's it's it might be due to that guy that's passing you. He's helping you out in an anonymous way. So uh, I think that is the way to go, where everybody's taken care of, and they don't have to be closely related. Uh, that could take care of a lot of, a lot of conflicts. But I think America could also improve in becoming a more personalized culture. I, I think in a lot of ways our culture is dominated by holidays, sporting events, uh, just what our culture does to keep this large nation all sort of on the same page. And that's what holidays are. July 4th, everybody's celebrating, right? So maybe we can have an idea where Anybody can pick what day they want to be July 4th and they can have their own independent celebration. You know, that might break up this mass society that we have here. It gives us order, but it it creates such a mechanized uh, system. It's almost like watching that movie Metropolis um, directed by Werner Herzog, I think, in, the, in 1927 in the silent movie, brilliant movie, where there's a underworld of workers and they're just cogs in a machine and uh or any or Charlie Chaplin in the in the movie um I forget what it is when he's he's a worker in a uh, assembly plant I forget the title of the movie but uh so in other words America has become a mass culture uh, I think if we can just somehow break it down where the individual counts more 
it's just not part of a class like African American or this class or that class, and um, that we're all trying to liberate. And you know, what about the individuals in that class? Or so, um, and just our mass highway system is just a perfect example of what our national lifestyle is really like. Because I think it may really be the case that Americans' character is determined by uh, our environment here. Uh, we have mountains and great prairies, a lot of space here, and that has really designed and developed our character. <coughs> There's a famous historian named Frederick Jackson Turner who sort of believed along those lines where it was called his frontier thesis, where he thought that because America had this big frontier that uh, we did not have to develop, to do develop any close-knit uh, communities like the Europeans have, so we could get away with uh, not providing social welfare programs for people. <clears throat> so, in other words, our national character of uh, independence or cowboy versus Indians is perhaps formed by the very environment we have to live in. I was looking at a movie yesterday from Barcelona, or Barcelona, as they say over there, and uh, just the beauty of the buildings uh, in that city. It's all close-knit, but just the beauty. And we just don't have that kind of history here. Uh, when, when uh, you know... Uh, so I think that's something we have to look at. But we can't change America into Europe, but uh, maybe we can somehow remove our personalities from being so dependent on the environment that we're living in, in the mountains or the prairies or wherever, <coughs> and have our minds take more control over our environment instead of our environment uh, sort of having so much influence over us. But America is a large country. I think The Economist magazine pointed out one time that just the state of Texas alone is enough for every American to move there from every other state, have a house, and a pretty fairly sized yard. So that just gives you an idea of what we're dealing with here. But are we going to put off cooperation until we reach 600 million people and they say that we can, we can accommodate that many? I mean... Uh, so I don't know, it's, but uh, I think we have to deal with competition and that will help us with the economic turmoil. Thank you, my friends, for listening. Bye.